Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to A Table Talk, a conversation on race. Uh, we are very excited to be with you on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Today is August 23rd, 2023, and we are excited to have a conversation on the beloved community. Um, we're here with Dr. Austin and here with Dr. Scriven, and as the co-chair of the beloved community, we felt as though this would be a great conversation, um, specifically as we discuss the origin of the term beloved community. And so this was Dr. Austin's idea. And I think this is going to be a great opportunity for you to just enrich your knowledge on what it means to live this out. Um, just a brief introduction on our two speakers today. So we have Dr. Daryl Scriven. He is the Dean of the School of Arts and Sciences and fellow in the Shipley Center for Innovation at Clarkson University. And we also have Dr. Sharon Austin. She's a director of Connectional and Justice Ministries and the East, Cent East Central District Superintendent. And also, I just wanted to mention, she served as the first female pastor of Martin Luther King's Church, Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm always excited to learn from her. And wow. we're excited that they will, will that. both be with us. Huh? You didn't know that? I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So it's an honor to work with her. So I'm excited today because we're going to be talking about the origin of the term beloved community. And if you were with us during our workshop, we discussed the name Josiah Royce. He was a philosophy professor in Harvard, and he was one of the first persons to coin the term in 1914. And so we wanted to bring Dr. Scriven to tell us a little bit about the origin of the term beloved community, a little bit about Josiah Royce. Um, so, Dr. Scriven, thanks for your time, and can you um, share a little bit on the topic? Sure. Thank you, Erwin. I appreciate you inviting me. Thank you, uh, Dr. Austin, as well. Thank you. So, um, Josiah Royce is probably one of our premier American philosophers. He's in the pragmatist mm -hmm. school, uh, along with, say, John Dewey, uh, William James, Charles mm -hmm. Peirce. Um, etc. So he's um was born around 1855, around that time. He's from uh California, Grass Valley, California, which is close to Sacramento. Mm -hmm. And his family were, were European immigrants, so grew up probably you know had to struggle a bit, but got admitted to Berkeley where he did his undergraduate education there and, um, you know, ended up doing some studying in Germany, but ultimately went to John Hopkins, Johns Hopkins to finish his PhD and in philosophy, probably one of the, one of the first people to get a PhD in philosophy from Hopkins. And then he got, he, he taught at Berkeley a bit, but got invited to Harvard to do a sabbatical fill for William James. And that turned into a permanent appointment where he started teaching at Harvard, um, you know, a few years later in the 1880s. Um, became friends with James and as, and as such, you know, a lot of conversation ensues between people. But um, Royce was actually a historian before a philosopher. So he, He's really interesting because he is probably our 
only American pragmatist philosopher who was trained in history as well as philosophy and wrote a lot in the historical field before becoming, you know, prominent in philosophy and very interested in Christianity. So a lot of his work comes from his faith commitments. You know, we would describe him as a pragmatist, but he was also an idealist. He he believed that he's the, the world of ideas, kind of uh, Plato, uh, you know, the, the forms, the ideas, the big things, those things should inform what we do. And so for him, it was about the principle of a thing. He saw that when he looked in the scripture, that these things were ideal, but they could still be manifested on earth. They could be imminent. So for him, Christianity and faith was to be lived out, not just something you held inside as an inner commitment, but you should be able to see the thing that you think in the earth, right? So he writes a lot of things. I mean, there's an evolution to, to all of this, but um, for Royce, uh, the, one of the premier concepts was loyalty, okay? So loyalty, this idea of having fidelity, keeping your commitments, honoring your agreements, and whatever agreements or things you understood to be the case, to be true, those are things you should be committed to. You should be loyal to that, right? Um, and for him, what it meant to be a Christian was to be loyal to your Christian commitments. Uh, what it meant to be a Christian is for you to understand that um, the spirit of God and, 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 and God as a being, for him, put us in community. Okay, that's, that's, that's an important concept. For him, loyalty connects to community. You can't be a Christian by yourself. There has to be some community. And, and, and for him... Even God is in community, um, whether it's with God's self or also with those with whom God interacts, you know, human beings, whether through the salvation moment or uh, through uh, interacting in our lives. There's a communal experience there. And so because of that, he thought that our highest ideal should be to be loyal to this concept of community, mm -hmm. to be perfected in community, right? So yeah, first he wrote this book on loyalty, but I guess toward the end of his life, he wrote a book called The Problem of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And in that book, he says, we should be perfected in community. And that's where he coins the term beloved community. It is the community with which we find ourselves that we should embrace and love and share with one another. And I believe he would say that that should be universal. Mm -hmm. But we all crack vessels, we all frail, and we all have our individual history. So there's some things we can talk about there that would suggest that maybe that was a little more narrow for him than perhaps it was for mm. Martin King. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. Wow. Mm. Very grateful, uh, first of all, Dr. Scriven, to have you uh, with us. And uh, uh, we are we are always, um, I think, better equipped for this work when we have broad input uh, from experts across a broad spectrum. So we hear from many folks sure. uh, who are vocational uh, persons in ministry. Mm -hmm. um, we are um, especially delighted today to have uh, your uh, expert voice from the academy. Yes. Uh, so before I say anything else, I'll, I'll just offer this little tidbit. Um, and it's so it's wonderful to hear uh, from you today and be in conversation with you today. Years ago, back back in the olden times, as my kids would say, uh, I, in undergraduate school, I double minored in religion and philosophy. OK. And uh, no, no. So that's not an OK. That just was something <laughs> that happened. <laughs> But I, I truly appreciate what it would mean uh, to, to be an expert in the field. So you're the expert in the field. And while we uh, periodically have uh, guests who hold uh, a PhD, uh, so a doctor of philosophy in a given field, I believe you are the first doctor of philosophy in philosophy. Okay. Uh, and we are uh, especially uh, delighted to, to have you and just your um, overview, that that sort of, you know, scintillating word about Josiah Royce and helping us appreciate his evolution and ours yes. uh, is a great way to to begin this conversation uh, about beloved community, because none of us. Um, I think would expect that at the end of our lives and our careers would be the same persons we were at the beginning. And the influence of uh, William James and others on Josiah Royce uh, really helped him to become the person who eventually came to understand and even coin uh, the phrase beloved community. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't help but think, um, uh, Reverend Lopez and Dr. Scriven, uh, that that has strains of Wesleyanism uh, in it, both that that personal holiness and social holiness. Uh, and for um, our work as justice advocates, justice champions, uh, the quest, the 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 desire, the aspiration to live into the beloved community. Mm -hmm. Uh, is one that I believe we hold dear. And so my question might be, as we continue our conversation today, what would Royce tell us we, we need to include if we are really going to take this deep dive into becoming the beloved community, as opposed to using a term that he coined, that Dr. King used and lived and, and really um, for which he sacrificed his life. All of these years later, post the life of Royce, post the life of Dr. King, what, what do we really need to bring to 
uh, the table in order to to live more authentically into the beloved community? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great question. Um, two things come to mind. Mm-hmm. So one is when Royce looked at the Apostles' Creed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, one thing that struck him as part of you know what Christians for centuries have embraced is the communion of saints. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he 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 thought that it was a part that normally we say, but we kind of skip over or we really don't meditate on it. But it is the idea that we are together in mm-hmm. our faith, living out our faith on a daily basis. It's not just simply our um, meditation on God or God concept or just, as you say, the, uh, the, the personal holiness, you know, mm-hmm. where we make sure our deportment is in line with the ordinances, but we're also um, caretakers and lovers one of another in a way that is not just simply a feature, mm-hmm. but it is foundational. It is the mm-hmm. crux of it. We we are in this together. We there, there's no way we can be the church if mm-hmm. we weren't together. Mm-hmm. And so, not as an optional thing, but. When he says loyalty, what he means is increase your commitment to one another. Yeah. There's no such thing as, you know, I'm going to make it and I hope you make it. It's we are going to make it together Mm -hmm. because that's how God has designed it for us. And so when he's talking about the communion of saints, and he's looking at the Apostles' Creed, he's saying Mm -hmm. this is what it means to be the beloved community, to Mm -hmm. be so committed to one another's flourishing, to our well-being, to our um, successes being there in our frailties, that this is is what life is. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes... I think it may be difficult for us, given all of the inputs we have in life and and all of the things that pull at us and 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 the gadgets we have that 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 beckon for our attention and the advertisements. But to just quiet yourself and understand, probably for Royce, that we are. I am because we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 that is. That is a state of being. He even understands God as being, as a being in community. Mm-hmm. So not a solitary, distant, transcendent, off somewhere being. For him, um, the overlooked part of our description of God is the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit indwells us and connects us together. Mm. So, beloved community, 
being about being together, but also connected by God's spirit so that that oneness is, is understood as how we live and not just some arbitrary feature of what it means to be a Christian. Mm, wow. Did I hear a little Descartes in there? And A little bit. A little, a little, little, maybe a little Martin Buber. <laughs> okay, that's actually all I remember. From, well, I'm not, I'm not going to push, push the limit there on the names. Um, and and so there, there really is this sense that we have to, to earn and make beloved community incarnate. Yes. And I think there are times when it has become almost like um, a, a sticker, like a bumper sticker. Mm -hmm. you, you know, so let's just just slap a little beloved community on it and, and, and call it that without recognition of the deep work, um, including our errors, mm -hmm. errors in, in speech, you know, despite our best intentions, sometimes we just don't, don't get it right. And right. sometimes there is pain and offense. Uh, but it sounds like you're saying to us that Roy says, Beloved community looks like this. It, it's not. It's not a, a term, um, you know, disconnected. It, right. It's. It is. It. It is an expressed incarnational uh, reality. Um, and I would just say, probably in our day and time, we can't take it for granted. Right. And if we don't work at it, um, we also won't have it or we will lose it. We will actually right. lose ground. Yeah, that's now, the beauty of it. That's yeah. the beauty of it, that we are, we're all fallible beings. Mm -hmm. So Royce understood that. I mean, that's, that's essentially what it means to be a pragmatist, is that this mm -hmm. is my best understanding of the world given the information that I have, yeah. but I recognize I could be wrong about some things. I might need to revise some things as I understand better. Mm -hmm. And so I don't claim to have all the answers. You know, that's what a pragmatist would say, but this is the best that I have right now. And if I learn better, then I'll revise it and I'll do better. And so mm -hmm. for him applying that to the beloved community, you don't have to be perfect to be in the community. Mm -hmm. mm. You don't have to be perfect to be a full participant in the beloved community. You're not beloved because mm -hmm. you're perfect. Mm -hmm. You're beloved because God put us together mm. and we've, we have value because of God. And so we honor and recognize and love each other yeah. because of that relationship and then we grow beyond that to have intimate bonds and relationship because we spend time and we live life together so that doesn't presuppose that we have to have it all together or get yeah. it right because sometimes some people won't start or won't become part of the community because they think we're a group of people who have it all together exactly. and, and nothing could be further from the truth and so it's 
it's an evolution of your walk and your journey to become stronger and to be um, more more loving and more able to 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 grasp and participate but you know this is a prevenient grace kind of thing to, to get uh -oh. you in. Yeah. <laughs> the, okay. the, the, the Reverend Dr. Latricia Scriven Look. would be uh, ashamed of me if I did not uh, quote some provenient grace. <laughs> Look, we need to sign you up to preach Sunday morning somewhere. I mean, that'll that that'll that'll work every day. Um, and and therein lies the hope. Uh, not that we are fully formed and accomplished, uh, but rather that we are willing to embark on the journey. Mm -hmm. uh, and we are, as you mentioned earlier, we are, we are imperfect people uh, and we, we have great company, I often think because of the imperfection because that, that's where all of us are you can have a you can have a lot of company on the journey that's right when you acknowledge uh, your own imperfection and and need for evolution uh, so Erwin, get in here because yeah, yeah. I have, I have you so many are questions so passionate about yeah. the beloved community about using it as a frame for the work and the ministry um, that you, um, you know, helped to lead the voice that you and, and Alice and others really give this and you hold it before us almost like a beacon. Uh, and so we'd love to have, you know, just have you share why this is so deeply meaningful uh, for you. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll share some of that and also just want to reflect on some of what Dr. Scriven said mm -hmm. and see if you can give me some feedback. Okay. Um, I'll first start with this idea that James Royce was a historian and a philosopher. Mm -hmm. And, and I feel like those two are so important to hold together because it is our philosophy of people, what we believe about people, what we believe about land, what we believe about religion, right? that shapes our history, that has shaped our history. And so I'm trying to put myself in Josiah Royce's shoes and thinking that he's, you know, an immigrant, he's experiencing and seeing all these religious wars and all these land wars. And he is trying to, to preach, teach a philosophy, a way of thinking, even a theology that ends these wars, that ends these, this separation. And, and he, he comes up with this concept of, hey, we need to come together somehow. And I'm wondering, among many questions, is that this vision of beloved community, it's got to be interfaith. It's got to be non-faith. Mm -hmm. It's got to break down warriors of race and, and, and religion and, and all, all the barriers so that we can come together. And I'm inspired by the fact that he looked at Christianity, read the Bible, and instead of reading something that separated him from other people, instead of creating more hierarchies, he read the scriptures like King read the scriptures and was inspired to bring people together. Yes. 
right? Despite, like you say, it's okay for you to be where you are. You don't even have to be a Christian. You don't even have to believe what we believe in. And as a pastor, as I evolve as a, as a you know, a young-ish person, as I evolve in my theology, I've moved from a place where, okay, the focus should only be make more Christians, right? Mm-hmm. Or now it's the beloved community has expanded my vision to say Christ wants you to focus on loving people, mm-hmm. loving your community, bringing people together. Um, and I think about, I think about John Wesley when he says, "The world is my parish." Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, I'm passionate about the beloved community, but I'm sometimes scared to be passionate about it in a in a Christianity, in a philosophy, in a history where, you know, the history of the religious wars. And so what do you think? So many questions there. No, I mean, it's it's fantastic. As you were speaking, I was thinking of the Western quadrilateral. Um. So, so you mentioned he can look at the scripture and he could see certain things, but he's not divorcing that from experience, right? Mm-hmm. And when you look at how we are informed in the world by the spirit of God, you know, by the scripture, by, by the things that we encounter and understand, you know, it, it, it's a deep thing when you take your own personal journey <clears throat> and then you look at the world and you try to make sense of it and you're appealing to God for understanding. There are some things that are going to show up in certain experiences, especially when you've had, you know, you, you, you had to immigrate, you've had some hardships and trauma. You've looked at other people and you can parallel their experiences to yours. And so, I mean, that's the concept of empathy really shows up in the beloved community, but you can see it when you have walked that journey and then look at someone else's life, you know, you make the connections. And so you're dealing with a lot of cultural chauvinisms at that time. Um, So people are looking for a kind of mutual respect that recognizes their humanity. Um, you know, nationalism is abounding. And so you're having to fight through that. And sometimes it's so um it's so surreptitious, it's it's so subtle that it sneaks up on you, becomes a part of your worldview, and you're you're looking at things through that lens and not realizing that you have biases and chauvinisms and nationalisms and and preferences that separate you from other people. Mm-hmm. So we all have to check those and work very hard to make sure that we are not putting barriers between ourselves and other community members. Like you're not the same faith as me. You're not the same race as me. You're not the same socioeconomic status as I am. Yeah. Um, you're not, this or that. You're not um, what I think of when I think of this or that. And so it it is really a a self-examination on the one hand, but also 
um, it's, it's realizing that community is not homogenous. We are supposed to, you know, as, as Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, the body has many members, but we're one body. And the thing you need, you might not think that much of until you need it. Exactly. So, so yeah, I, I, I understand exactly what you're saying in terms of all of these influences that are going on. And part of what's happening at Harvard at that time, he's not just benefiting from being influenced by William James and, and, and Charles Purse and whatnot, but Du Bois is there as a student. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's being, he's yeah. being influenced by the brightest African-American minds. Elaine Locke, our first African-American Rhodes Scholar, um, taught at Howard for 40 years. He's there as a student. First PhD in philosophy, uh, African-American from Harvard. That's Elaine Locke. Du Bois was the first in sociology. Would have been philosophy, but there was some, some stuff going on with him and William James. So my point is, they're being influenced by people who have been grappling and struggling with the concept of race, marginalization, um, in an existential way. And hmm. That's coming out in some of this philosophy, even if it's not being named. So when yeah. King inherits a lot of this tradition, he knows what to do with it mm -hmm. because it comes from a uniquely American context that engages Christianity in such a way that it speaks to the needs of the people that King finds himself in service to. And that's where we are now. Exactly. And I think that's why you point to empathy. I was just thinking, uh, you know, a paraphrase of Dr. King's quote about how cruel it is to tell a bootless man to pull himself up by his bootstraps. Yes. You know, it's it is um, it's it's not the it's not even just the look of the of the community with respect to who's there, but their unique stories. That's what I hear you saying, that, that Roy's had regard for the stories, the experiences, and the voices, and the recognition that the beloved community is heterogeneous, is not homogenous. Yes. So the more differences that are identified and then held in regard uh, as, as valued actually help the community to grow and flourish, to, to become all uh, it can be. And I think now, Erwin, uh, would you say that the, the um, use of the term allyship, um, you know, walking alongside people, uh, even when our stories are different, or maybe precisely because our stories are different, so that we can do the work of becoming the beloved community is, um, you know, just is is essential. Yeah, no, I agree. Definitely, allyship is part of the work. Um, I have I have a, a couple other questions for Dr. Scriven and for you, Dr. Mm -hmm. Austin, because this is this is important to me. This simple question: Am I right to say? that the beloved community is an interfaith, non-faith, 
universal community. And if I am right to say that, how do we hold that in balance with make disciples of Christ or the transformation of the world? Is okay. Yeah, I, I think I think I think you are right to say that the beloved community. I mean, I think about the um, the parable of the Samaritan, and before that, the question is asked, "Who is my neighbor?" Mm. And you know, we 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 get a parable from Jesus that says, you know, priest walk by, rabbi walk by, the Samaritan person. You don't think a lot of this person, but this person was more neighbor mm-hmm. to the one that was, you know, beaten and robbed and whatnot. And so the the point is, you know, not who who is my neighbor? And and the answer there is the the one who needs me. And who how do I show myself to be neighbor? Well, I present myself as being of service and love to whomever needs me. And that transcends, you know, religious boundaries, class boundaries, racial boundaries, gender boundaries, orientation boundaries. I embrace, now, I embrace that fully. At the same time, if I'm a part of a faith community where Christ says, go make disciples, well, I can live out that creed and because this is the way in my orientation toward God says that through Christ, I go out and share this same understanding of God and how we interact with the world through Christianity, through my faith. But it doesn't mean I need to be exclusionary. And, and that's the that's what comes out. Sometimes people think to have fidelity with the faith means that I don't keep any company with people who have another faith tradition or have another orientation or whatnot. And in fact, if we look again at the example of Christ, Christ ate with everybody according to the religious leaders he wasn't supposed to. Mm -hmm. He communicated with everybody. And I, I believe that was an existential demonstration that the kingdom of God is about loving people and showing people that God loves us all because we all are in the same condition, as Dr. Austin said. You know, whether I'm inside the church or sitting on the pew or whether I'm standing outside under a tree, we're in the same condition before God. And the good news is that God loves us all. Exactly. Exactly. That, that's, uh, that is beautiful and powerful, Dr. Scriven and Erwin, and thank you for really pushing that question forward because I do think that people sometimes have this um, somewhat bifurcated way of looking at the world and, and many things in it, including the beloved community. And so it's, you know, if I'm a faithful Christian, how can I keep company with you, you name the people or the group? If I am from a certain geographic locale, if my experience have been this, if my socioeconomic status, my education is this or it isn't this, how can I? Uh, and I think, you know, so often that when we 
praying the part of the prayer, the portion of uh, the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That is just so much more than any singular or individual experience. That is a, that is a prayer for the corporate body uh, of humanity. And even as you have been uh, wonderfully quoting scripture for us, Dr. Scriven, I kept thinking about you know, Josiah Royce and the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, you know, where, where those who are persecuted and those who are peacemakers, I mean, it's, it's everyone that on the one hand, um, the world does not give space and honor to, uh, but Jesus calls them blessed. Uh, and so, you know, blessed to be a part of the beloved community on whose behalf we all have opportunity to work. And so here's Dr. King, who has this, you know, first class formal education, but um, saw the need and the opportunity to learn from Gandhi, to take the phrase from Josiah Royce. Mm-hmm. And whose marches and work in civil rights included uh, just a, a, you know, a plethora of people from different walks of life brought together for a common cause and common goals. And in every location and community, there, there was the opportunity for people either to embrace it as a result of the issues and needs of a particular community or to embrace it on behalf of the movement uh, as a whole. Uh, And it is unfinished work. It is unfinished work. Yep, definitely. Yeah. um, Dr. Austin, as you speak about King, I think this might be a good little transition because I'm seeing some of the connections between Royce and King. Mm -hmm. Specifically when you talk, Dr. Scriven, about his uh, emphasis on loyalty, loyalty. And so if you go on Dr. King's Beloved Community site in the the King Center in Atlanta, it has mm-hmm. a definition for the Beloved Community, and we can see some of this origin because it's defined as this. The Beloved Community is an all-inclusive community that comes together to make sure that everybody has enough food and shelter. To make sure. So that's where the, lo- see where the loyalty, I'm seeing the loyalty right there. So now yeah. we're talking about Winnie as a church, as a people, create communities, interfaith, non-faith. Like you said, Dr. Scriven, serve those who need us. And the need is always the same. King said food and shelter, right? And so can we talk a little bit about that transition, that the evolution? Yeah, yeah, of course. I think, um, and, and I think Dr. Austin put it beautifully that, you know, we... This community is made up of different individuals and we draw from different sources mm-hmm. because, you know, you, you mentioned Gandhi from India and even even Royce, because, of course, King comes later after Royce is gone. Yes. But is at Boston um, University, Crozier Seminary. Mm hmm. But in fact, Dr. Austin, we Patricia and I went to uh, Ebenezer 
We attended there a couple of years. Uh, I heard. When we got to Atlanta. We have some mutual friends that I was surprised. I, I thought, how do you know? And that, then I heard the story. That's the story. So see, that, see, our paths have crossed even before we knew it. Absolutely. Absolutely. But but I but I see King drawing from all these sources, even yes. because on the one hand, intellectual giant, man of faith, but also a man of his times. Exactly. And and what I mean by that is uh in his larger corpus, you see these very big and grand ideas about loyalty, um, the Holy Spirit, the beloved community. Mm-hmm. But in some of his speeches and writings, you'll see things that show certain cultural chauvinisms, you know, certain ideas about uh, the cultural inferiority of certain groups, Mm -hmm. disparaging remarks that are being said. And so my point is, there are some times that God will have a revelation or a word for us to take forward and take further but it's sometimes in a it's in an, an awkward and very um a complex place right and so that's what it means to be in community sometimes it's going to be awkward and complex um so king so the, yeah. so king when he takes these resources he is in a scenario where he's got a group of people whose humanity is being assaulted existentially they're being brutalized physically victimized but he is embracing not just idealistically but in reality on the ground imminently what it means to be the kingdom of god and the beloved community and how we are to conduct ourselves and also embrace those who wrong us and despitefully use us Exactly. exactly. So it's not just a victory um, yeah. strategy. It's also how do we live out this notion of the beloved community while we are under siege and our people are suffering and, and, and even dying in many cases. So So that's when philosophy and theory meet the lived experience and your yeah. your faith becomes um, imminent in the moment where it has to produce an actual result because there are actual consequences that are beyond yourself. And and, and King yeah. is really uh, King is really a um, an exemplar, not just because he was a great intellect or he was in an in, in an opportune moment to be a historical figure mm-hmm. but because he really had to understand and embrace what God could be saying for the the actual consequences of a people um in in African Americans but also the soul of a nation and an yeah. entire world that was not just looking at the liberation uh, quest for black people, but looking at how Christianity could be a a true force in a world that says, you know, 
it, it doesn't really have the power that you all think it does. Mm -hmm. and, and never forsaking his roots as a Christian, uh, as a, a child of the segregated South, who grew up in the reality of those times and that space, and yet within the nucleus of his family experience with a degree of privilege, yes. educated parents. Uh, uh, you know, there was a time you were a, a pastor, you, you had a platform in a particular way and, and his father, Dr. King Sr. Uh, used it. And, um, you know, they were able to provide for their family, but he, he took those realities and then held them up to the light and realized that he and his family and others did not have all that they should be entitled to because their dignity right. was so often uh, compromised. And there is um, the, the realities of the Edmund Pettus Bridge and the, the late Reverend uh, and U.S. Congressional Representative John Lewis, uh, right. you know, that that wasn't a philosophical beating. Right. Uh, that that was a, a life and death experience for him and for others. And I am uh, old enough to remember the black and white um, images literally on the evening news of watching the dogs sick on black people, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to turn them back. And so I grew up with that as a reality, not, not as a history lesson, but in the moment and the, you know, what it, what it meant to, to really be challenged uh, by my parents to watch that, to have conversation about that, to grow up as a Christian and a black child. Yes in the 50s and 60s. And so here we are 100 years after the birth of Josiah Royce. Uh, I'm born, Dr. King is leading, you know, coming into his own as a civil rights leader and more into, um, you know, those years. And uh, recently we celebrated the home going of um, his sister, the, the remaining, um, um, nuclear family member. Yes, uh, Dr. Willie Christine King Farris died at the age of 95 and standing in front of the birth home and just having a chance once again, you know, that that street was so familiar to me during my ministry at Ebenezer, but just standing in front of that birth home and watching them turn out the lights and, and leaving that space thinking the work is still ahead. Yes. The work is still ahead. And so we miss all that the beloved community could be and invites us to embrace, not just as a concept, but the work to which we are called. Mm -hmm. If we constantly look back and only give thanks for the work that has been done and don't um, absorb and lay claim to our own work going forward. Absolutely. I appreciate all these connections with King and it's helping me understand the concept of the beloved community even more and more. And 
I have um some some more questions for you all, some more talking points here. I guess my question is, what is it about the human psyche that we needed to think of this? You know what I mean? Like, why, why can't we all just get along, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is it about um, humanity? And this may be a philosophical question. This could be a theological question. We know. But what I'm thinking of is, why isn't every pastor doing this? Why isn't every you know, a rabbi doing this. Why? What is it about us? Why isn't this happening more? Mm. Well, I think um, you know. On the one hand, um, part of what we and, and I and I think this is how Royce understood it that our human experience is really a journey reconciling us not just back to God but back to one another in terms of our interconnection and part of the challenge is living such a fractured and um as 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 Dr. also said bifurcated and distracted existence it's it's as if we have to find our way back home and so Sometimes, because of the inputs and the influences, we have different conceptions of what it means, what what the main point is, mm-hmm. okay? And I think we also have different gifts and graces in the sense that um, some of us are much more focused on and given to notions of community, whereas for other people, a certain sense of uh, piety, personal piety, or even um, the kind of narrow parochial sense of uh, this is my group. Mm -hmm. I'm looking out for them. Um, And and, and at times it all has its place. The, the, The thing we need to overcome is thinking that that's the only thing there is when there's a much broader call to community that we're discussing right now. So I don't look at it as, you know, an indictment to say that this group is focused on this and maybe they could be or should be focused on that as much as because we're in community and we're interconnected, then it's an opportunity mm-hmm. for those of us who embrace this, this large, thick concept of beloved community to, uh, in, in Wesleyan terms, invite our brothers and sisters to open up and extend. I think if if King could have a conversation with Royce, what he may have done is invited him to interrogate some of his notions of imperialism and cultural chauvinisms. And it's kind of, you know, seemed like he had a a bit of a, a, you know, a romantic relationship with with empire. Mm-hmm. He might have invited him to consider that that was against the best presentation of beloved community, you know, whereas we have the same opportunities to do that. And I think, you know, oftentimes, whether it's through this conversation or a fresh expression or, or something like that, it is it can be presented to people in a way that 
pricks them and causes them to really consider and then open up because really, you know, God moves through us for each other's benefit mm -hmm. in ways we, we often don't expect. Exactly. You know, I think um, to your point about, um, you know, empire and imperialism, uh, Dr. Scriven, you know, Dr. King never asked for more for Black Americans than he asked for white and any other group in America. His goal was that to the extent that there is education and uh, enough food and healthcare and wages uh, and voting rights, mm -hmm. you know, to name a few, equal and fair, decent housing, mm -hmm. that everyone share in it. So it was intended to include Black Americans in a way it did not largely in his day and still does not still uh we have that that question that struggle uh, but it was not intended to lift one group up and say that because uh this group has been um eliminated and overlooked coming into their own means now they have more they have the lion's share but rather that we share uh, the resources uh, across the board. And uh, I think some sometimes, particularly I think in um, the cultural divisions, and so Erwin mentioned earlier, religious wars, I'll say the cultural wars of the present, I think that's misunderstood. I think Black Lives Matter is often misunderstood because it is taken to mean the lives of Black people are more important. And you'll hear that rejoinder, but all lives are important. Well, if all lives are important, let's act like all lives are important. Let's live like all lives are important. Let's give access to resources like all lives are important because that's precisely what we uh, you know, have not done. And um, you know, to the extent that that Royce may uh, have led with some romanticized notions. When you are out there, boots on the ground, yes. as we often say, that that fifty mile walk from Selma to Montgomery, like that was no plaything. Right. right. Uh, that, that was uh, the real deal. And and now we have seen, uh, you know, sadly through the Supreme Court, repealing some of those rights uh, in terms of. Um, you know, just leaving them as they were. And the assumption that the aspiration of the beloved community has been so fully realized that now we don't need the protections and the safeguards as we once did. And now we are living with the effects of having removed those guardrails. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and to your point, I think, because um, Irwin said something important, and that is, when we talk about community, sometimes we only have certain faith community in mind or certain ethnicity or certain group. But mm -hmm. King took his struggle for civil rights. And as he evolved in his understanding and, and broadened himself, he then talked about the war in Vietnam. Yes. He 
sanitation workers in Memphis, mm-hmm. poor people's campaign that cuts across ethnicities. He talked about uh, poor white people in the Appalachian Mountains who were yep. starving, whatnot. And so this idea of community extending, being neighbor to those who need us, that that being the neighbor love that we need to extend, you know, that is an extension of the idea of beloved community that I don't think even Royce had in mind, even if he ideally was talking about something universal. As you say, boots on the ground, how does it play out? And, And do you have the courage and the strength to love people who are beyond your circumstance that are suffering, even when you're suffering. Exactly. And as a born before the Civil War, you know, maybe this notion of Black people being fully included and embraced in the American uh, dream, the American ideal, full recognition as citizens, Um, just really may not have occurred to him in in all of the ways that it could have. Yet, John Wesley, who predated uh, Royce, mm-hmm. uh, you know, could see the sin of slavery and so forth. And so, you know, in in every um, in every season of life, uh, we all see clearly on the one hand and then see through that glass darkly right, right. Uh, on the other. And it really uh, is uh, our hope that we are handing the work off to the next generation right. who will have an opportunity to see certain issues with more clarity and, and continue the, uh, you know, continue the journey toward our beloved community. Yeah, I agree. Well, this has just been uh, an amazing uh, conversation. I'm so grateful that you could join us, Erwin. I'm always grateful for the context in which you provide opportunities uh, for us to uh, engage in conversation and and not to uh, not to solve something, but maybe to lift uh, some great questions. So. Uh, folks who who know me, and I'm sometimes teased about this, uh, as the director now of Justice Ministries, it used to be Connectional Justice, but now Justice Ministries and District Superintendent, but also serving on the board of uh, the General Board of Church and Society, those social principles that we have, have taken so many parts of the beloved community conversation. What does it look like in terms of healthcare? What does it look like in terms of uh, you know, gender equality and full inclusion. And what does it look like? Like it, we could take those principles and say these are all conversations within the arc of the beloved community. And I, I hope we will receive it that way. Yes, definitely. I think this has been a very fruitful conversation. I've learned so much. I think we need a part two sometime. I have already. I have like seven more questions I can ask. Um, this is fascinating stuff to me, and and. Dr. Scriven, thank you so much for your time. Dr. Austin, thank you so much for your time. I don't know if you have any last words you want to share with us, Dr. Scriven, before we go, but we greatly appreciate you being with us. Dr. Scriven has a shout out. He doesn't need to forget. (laughs) (laughs) I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Reverend Dr. Latricia Scriven, who um, has been with me 
for 26 years and counting. And, um, and we're, we're really, really um, just just happy that she has brought me into this kind of Wesleyan conversation because there's a rich, rich legacy here, rich um, group of uh, clergy colleagues and, and friends that are really struggling and, and grappling to do good and to do uh, justice and, and to walk humbly with God. And, and, and it is, um, you know, just a privilege to to be her spouse and, and to be in engrafted into this community of Wesleyan believers. And um, I, I really am appreciative of the invitation today because sometimes people think that if you study philosophy, then you uh, leave your faith or divorce yourself from your faith. But nothing could be further from the truth. Um, the reason that Royce and the reason I came into philosophy is because I wanted to understand God even more. Mm -hmm. And I believe that if we serve God with our whole mind, then God will reveal things to us beyond what we understand. Amen. Amen. Well, happy anniversary to you and Dr. Scriven. Thank you. Uh, we know you just celebrated 26 years, and we're grateful and hope that you will join us whenever uh, your time uh, permits. This has been rich, and Erwin, uh, as always, I'm, I'm grateful uh, to you and, and just excited about uh, all that you dream about for these conversations uh, and the, um, uh, the sharing that occurs through the Table Talk series. So thank you so much. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you, both of you. And for all of you listening, we will follow up with an email. And, you know, you can always reach us. Just Google Beloved Community, F-L-U-M-C, and we will um, do our best to resource you. So thank you all. And thank you again to our speakers. God bless. Mm -hmm.